0: I would entertain a motion to dismiss, but I might get one, so we won't have that. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 5 as we work our way through that book. Uh, You probably know, uh, you're tired of hearing it, but some people have not been here the whole time. We really don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know to whom it was written. We don't know the city or the city state or whatever. But we do know it was written to a bunch of Christians who had been converted from Judaism. And the great temptation now was to go back to what was familiar and what was safe. Persecution was starting to develop in the empire and it was safer to go back and be Jewish. And so what the writer is doing is he's telling us we can't go back because Jesus isn't back there and Jesus is better. He's better than the angels, he's better than Moses, and now we are on this section where he's better than all the priests. It's amazing, and I hadn't thought about this in studying the book in the past, how important the priests were to this group of Christians receiving this letter. There are five chapters dealing with Jesus being the better high priest. So it really gives you an indication of why he keeps referring to we have a high priest in Jesus. So let me read chapter 5, 1 through 10. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sin, <clears throat> as well as the sins of the people. No one takes his honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take this upon himself, the glory of becoming an high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. And was designated by God to be the high priest in order of Melchizedek. God's word to God's people. Let's pray. Open our eyes that we might behold beautiful things in your word. Unstop our ears that we might truly hear the gospel. Free our hearts that we might live as children of God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever noticed how unwelcomed you are in this world? Have you ever noticed the signs that face you every day? Do not enter. Authorized personnel only. No one beyond this point. You know, no parking. And I saw this yard... Somebody's going to say that's my yard. But anyway, I saw this yard the other day. It was pitiful. And on the side of the, where there's supposed to be a sidewalk, it said, keep off the grass. And I started to write, what grass, you know? But we go through the whole day and we wonder, are we welcome? Are we invited? Are we free to enter? And this morning's passage is really come and welcome." That Jesus is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and wayward. We're all welcomed into the presence of Christ. The title comes from John Bunyan's book. John Bunyan wrote plenty of books, not just Pilgrim's Progress. It's the second leading book sold in the, in the world behind the Bible. He wrote 56 other books and one of them was Come and Welcome and it was about Jesus's open invitation for all who would come to him can and would would be invited to come so what i want to do is look at this passage under three headings and one is all the priests and their sacrifices point to Jesus number 2 all the ignorant and wayward are welcome to come to Jesus and all who obey the gospel will be saved. The emphasis is on all, as you can tell. All the priests and all the sacrifices point to Jesus. He's a fulfillment. He's qualified. He meets every precondition. He meets everything that you need to be a high priest. And that's where we go from. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was our sympathetic high priest. And we could approach him with confidence because we would find strength and grace and mercy in our time of need. Well, here he kind of backs up and says, let me tell you why and how Jesus can be your high priest, your sympathetic priest. And so what he does, he labels out or he lists out all the things that are qualifications for being a priest. One, you had to be taken from among people, had to be a person. You know, it seems to be obvious. Number two, you had to represent the people and things to God. You had to offer sacrifices. You had to be able to deal gently with all people. And you had to be called or appointed to the position. You couldn't just volunteer. And then what he does, in a reverse order, he shows how Jesus did all of that. We call that a chiastic construction where you go A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A. And I could lay it out, but what he's trying to do, he's trying to tell you that Jesus is qualified to be your great high priest. And he's not only saying that, he's saying that Jesus fulfills all that the high priest represented. That he is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And because of Him, there are no more sacrifices. It's really interesting, you know, to ask our Jewish friends who might not believe in Jesus being the Messiah, uh, why they quit having sacrifices. The only answer is, in God's common grace, we saw the truth that it was of no avail that nothing but the blood of Jesus can take away our sins. But not only does this point to the fact that Jesus fulfills all the prophecies about the high priest, but the whole Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. You know, when we look at the Bible and you say, what's the Bible about? Or let's be a little more specific. What's the Old Testament about? And if I were to ask you that, how would you answer? And I'll tell you one word to answer. It's about Jesus. The Old Testament is not just about creation. It's not just a story of, of, of the Exodus. It's not just a bunch of laws. It's not a bunch of stories like Aesop's fables. It's not just a bunch of songs. It's not just a bunch of prophecies about what's going to happen in the future. Everything in there points to Jesus. You've heard this corny story before, but I'll say it again. There were a bunch of city kids who went to a country uh, camp, Christian camp. And all they heard all week was, this points to Jesus, and this points to Jesus, and this points to Jesus. So the teacher one day was giving a lesson, and he happened to see a white squirrel outside the window. Very odd white squirrel. And so he says, hey kids, look out the window, what do you see? And one of the kids said, it looks like a squirrel, but I'm saying Jesus. And, uh, you know, everything, you know, points to Jesus, but not in that way. We're talking about in the way that He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. I thought about it this morning and added it to my sermon. Jesus is the one that would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the seed promised to Abraham. Jesus is a sacrifice provided on Mount Moriah Jesus is the Exodus according to the Mount of Transfiguration Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Jesus is the priest of all priests Jesus is the king of all kings Jesus is a servant behind all serving Jesus is a child born of a virgin Jesus is a prophet that became the word of God himself everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus If you have your Bibles still open, I would like for you to quickly turn to Luke chapter 24. usually don't have you turn places, but I will today. Luke 24. And this is the resurrection of Jesus and what happens afterwards. Jesus meets these two men on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about the events of the day, and they thought that Jesus might be the Messiah... But they were disappointed because now Jesus had been crucified and he was dead. And it says that what Jesus did, what Jesus did, he, he came and he began to walk with these guys. And he began to to talk to them about the events of the day. And then in verse twenty five, after they walked some way and they still don't recognize who he is, Jesus says this. So they've been walking a while, talking about the events. Jesus has been crucified. They think He's in the tomb. He's walking with them. Verse 25. And He said to them, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer all these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses, that's... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Now, wouldn't you like to be at that Bible study where Jesus goes through the whole Old Testament and says, "That That was about Me. That was about Me. That was about Me. That was about Me. You see, everything is about Jesus. All priests, all the sacrifices point to Him. The second thing I want you to see is that all are welcome. You look at this passage in Hebrew and you say, well, where do you get the idea that all are welcome? It says that in verse 2, He is able to deal gently with those who are arrogant or ignorant and are going astray. Now, there is a lot of theological debate. Is Jesus talking about one person, two people, or all people? Is he saying foolish people go astray? You, you've known that. You've known somebody, you know, that's foolish and they're going to do foolish things all the day. They just don't, you know, don't have sense to get out of the rain. You know, that kind of foolish people make bad decisions all the time. Is he talking about a foolish person who makes a bad decisions? Or is he talking about foolish, ignorant people and those who are wayward being different people? If you go to Numbers 24, no, Numbers 15, excuse me. If you go to Numbers 15, you will find out that the law of Moses describes two kinds of sinners. Those who sin unintentionally and those who sin defiantly. And you know what unintentional sin is. That's sin you really didn't mean to do it. You, you've been going down the road. Uh, I know that ignorance is no excuse, Dudley. Got the police here. You're going down the road and, you know, the speed limit's been 65. And all of a sudden you come into a town and it, you didn't see the sign. It went to 35. Well, you unintentionally violate... You're still going to get the ticket, you know. But it's unintentional. That's different than you seeing a sign that says 35 and you go 85. Now, that's defiant. And I think if you go fast enough, you get put in jail, right? There is a... So anyway, I'm just a warning to y'all heavy-foot people out there. All kind of things you ought to learn in the pulpit. But anyway... And so... A lot of people think that what Jesus is saying is there Jesus is gentle with those who are foolishly going astray and those who are high-handedly going astray. And what Hodge says is this. John Hodge wrote Hodge wrote seven volumes. Took him twenty years to write on the book of Hebrews, and no, I hadn't read it. But in this one place he says what that means is Jesus welcomes all. In the Old Testament, there was not a sacrifice for those who sinned defiantly, willfully, in open rebellion. But what the writer, the preacher in Hebrews is saying is Jesus will receive any who repent of waywardness, foolishness, or defiance. Hodge goes on to say that no sinner is excluded except those who exclude themselves by unbelief. Besides the sin against the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, there is no unforgivable sin. It matters not what you have done. You are welcome to come to Jesus, and He will deal gently with, With your sin. The idea of gently is a middle position between apathy. I don't care what you did. To anger. What did you do? To that of gentleness. You did what? Let me help you out of that mess. Jesus will welcome you when you come. Jesus will in no wise cast any out. If you're looking for a book to read, that's a very good book to read. Dane Ortland, who is a PCA pastor, wrote this book, A Gentle and lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And I've read half of it and I've probably read that half twice because it's so good and so thought-provoking. But in here he quotes that sermon by Bunyan on Come and Welcome. That all who come to me I will in no wise cast out, is what Jesus said in John 6. And so here's what Bunyan says. You find objections upon which you are unworthy of yourself for this promise. And he goes on to say, But I'm a great sinner, say you, I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you, I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. I'm a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out. I'm a backsliding sinner, says you. I will in no wise cast out. I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against the light, say you. But I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out. The promise provided is the answer to any and to all objections. You see, there's no reason for you to say, if I go to Christ, I won't be received. I've done this, did this yesterday, the day before. I did, I do it all the time. Go to Christ. There is a hymn that we'll sing later. It's written by Joseph Hart. Joseph Hart says this, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is able, he is willing. Doubt no more. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness finally dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you this he gives you. This The Spirit's rising being. You see, what Bunyan is saying is come like a leper who has nowhere else to go to be cleansed. Come like the centurion who has nowhere to go to heal their son. Come like the prostitute who has nobody else that will welcome them. Come like the prodigal who knows that Jesus will receive him with open arms. Come to Jesus. There's a hymn that you all know. It's written by Charlotte Elliott. Charlotte Elliott was a secular writer. She wrote humorous things. She had a carefree attitude. But she began to be concerned about her soul. She had uh, been stricken with some illness and had been sick for some days, which made her situation all the more urgent for her. There was an evangelist by the name of Caesar Milan. Who came to the area in the 1800s and preached the gospel? Well, afterwards, he happened to come to her house where she was staying. She was single, and Caesar Milan was talking to people about their conversion. And he turned to Charlotte Elliott and said, uh, Are you converted, and do you know Christ? And she was offended and ran out of the room. Several weeks later, she looked up Caesar Milan. To have a conversation she said she had hoped she was a christian she was offended by his asking her whether she was or not but it got her to thinking and she said how do i come to christ you tell me to come to christ and he'll not cast me out but how do i come to christ and he says you must come just as you are a sinner to the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world Charlotte Elliott wrote a hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. She came to Jesus just as she was. She continued to serve him all of her days, urging other people. Billy Graham made that hymn famous and popular. But the hymn is not just an invitation to come to Christ for salvation, but to come to Christ. To come to Christ with your doubts, your fears, your struggles, your illnesses, your ailments, your marriage, your children's salvation, your schoolwork, your whatever. I remember when Ricky and Bianca were here and Ricky was our campus minister and I, we sang Just As I Am one time and Bianca said she grew up in the Lutheran church And they sang that hymn a lot before a time of prayer. Come to Jesus. The last thing we look at is all who obey Him will be saved. Now that ought to be a shocking statement to everybody in here. To all who obey Him will be saved. But isn't that what it says? And once more... He was made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him and designated by God to be a high priest. All who obey him. Isn't the gospel, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But let's look at something else before we answer that question. What did Jesus mean when he talks about, this writer mean when he talks about Jesus offering up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears? talks about Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. The suffering of Jesus wasn't just physical, it was emotional, spiritual, of the soul. He suffered these things. It said He suffered so that He could learn obedience. And He was made perfect. And you say, Jesus learned obedience. Was He ever disobedient? No. To learn obedience is to learn it experientially. You know, I know it's painful to have a kidney stone. But some of you know that experientially. I understand there's a reason they call it labor pains when you have a baby. I'll never experience that. Jesus learned, Hodge would say, by experiencing that. It was an experiential knowledge. And to be made perfect means that He he fulfilled all the qualifications of being your priest, your Savior. That He didn't just come here Ready to die. I want to read something that you might find enlightful but shocking. When it came to being our high priest, Jesus wasn't born ready. He was born as a helpless infant who needed to grow in wisdom and stature. True, the Incarnation was absolutely necessary for us to be saved since our high priest had to be human to represent us. But sinners like us don't need just saving. We need sympathy. And sympathy requires experience that Jesus, baby Jesus, or teenage Jesus, for that matter, didn't yet have. So I repeat that when it comes to being our high priest, Jesus wasn't born ready. He had to be put through a rigorous high priest training school. This may sound shocking, but it's a clear teaching of Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. You go, wait a second. But there's a reason we didn't have Jesus born in a manger. Shepherds coming to worship Him. Wise men seeking Him. And then they go to the temple seven days later and have Him circumcised, why wouldn't he just sacrifice them? Because he hadn't experienced the things of suffering so that he could identify with God's people. Now to the question. What does it mean that to all who obey, Jesus gives eternal salvation? It's really not a problem, is it? Real faith obeys. You know that if you love me, you keep my commandments. That James says that you say you have faith. I say I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And it's not strange that the person who came and he learned obedience by which he suffered. And the one who, who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, would put in this fashion faith and obedience are synonymous. So if you believe, then by God's grace you obey His commandments and live in holy ways. Back to our hymn, Joseph Hart that wrote, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you. Joseph Hart thought he was a Christian He had this intellectual knowledge about all the facts of Christianity. He understood, you know, that Jesus became a man and all of that. But he thought that all you had to do was to believe. He even took the time to write a manual, a pamphlet to John Wesley. And the pamphlet was called, The Unreasonableness of Religion. And the whole idea of the pamphlet is you didn't need to obey. You didn't need to keep the commandments. All you had to do to believe. And you know what Wesley did? He treated it as blasphemy, which it was. Years later, Joseph Hart was listening to George Whitfield, And he heard the gospel and he gave his life, not just his mind, but his heart, his will, and his soul to the Savior. And he wrote Wesley in an apology that it was to those who believe will be saved let's pray father thank you for the gospel thank you like we said in sunday school that we're so sinful that somebody had to die but we're so loved that somebody was willing to die we thank you lord jesus you came for that very purpose and you learned uh, obedience by what you suffered and you became perfect and qualified for being our savior I pray that we might come to you today if we never have as Savior, but that we might come to you with confidence and boldness, even if we are Christians with problems. Help us not to be fearful and shrink back, but to remember we're your children and you're our Heavenly Father and we can come with confidence. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.